0: And I believe from time to time we need to visit uh, this principle as we come into the presence of the Lord, either to hear His Word uh, or meditate or even read the Word of God or worship God. And the title of my message is Prerequisite for Receiving God's Word prerequisite for hearing and receiving the Word of God. Uh, The dictionary defines the word prerequisite as something that is required beforehand. For example, a visa is still prerequisite for travel in many countries, and I'm sure Emil got one, or else he wouldn't be able to come. So that is a prerequisite. And this morning, we're going to look at what is required from us before we hear the Word of God and before it becomes alive, active, and productive in our lives. And what I've witnessed through the years is that many people seem to hear the Word again and again and again, but when you look at their lives, there is no fruit, there is no evidence that that Word has been productive in their lives. No change. Continue in the same without any visible or outward change. But when we receive the Word of God, as God prescribes... Over time, the Bible says that we will see change in our lives, change in our attitude, change in our character, change in the way we behave, change in our speech, in our thoughts. And that's what the Word of God does when we receive that Word according to the prescriptions that God has given us. So that's what we're going to be teaching this morning the things that we need to attend to and the preparation that we must all go through before we come and sit before the ministry of the Word. Or even at home, before we take hold of the Holy Word of God, there is some kind of preparation that needs to be done within us and from us If the word is to produce maximum results, are you with me? So that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning. The rest of God is where we need to be, and the Bible says that. Let me read uh, uh, rather uh, Hebrews chapter four, verse two, and then we will. I will. I will continue. The rest of God, that's what we are aiming for. Hebrews, it is placed in the wrong place. Okay. Hebrews chapter 4, it should be on your screen. There it is. Let's read that together. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. He's referring to the Israelites. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Let's read that again. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The rest of God is a place of victory. Would you agree with me? And the Word of God instructs us that that's where we need to be from day to day. The Word says, labor or make every effort to enter into the blessed rest of God. Because the rest of God is a place of victory. It is the ultimate place for the believer in which the promises of God become real and tangible and experiential in our lives. In other words, we experience the fulfillment of the blessings and the promises that God has given to us through Christ Jesus. Also, the rest of God is a place where we Rest from our own labors, from our own toiling and sweating in the flesh, and fully trust the Lord through His Spirit to work through us in order to accomplish His plans and His purposes in our spheres of influence. In other words, as we rest, God works. When we strive, when we try, when we sweat, when we get in the flesh, God sits back. Therefore, it is imperative that we enter into that blessed rest of God. Amen? The agent that God uses to take us into the rest of God is the gospel. Good news, the Word of God. What we do with the gospel And how we measure what we hear determines where we will be and what we receive from God. In other words, you will receive according to how you measure or in equivalent to how much you believe and act upon what you heard. Are you with me? There's nothing wrong with the Word of God. Absolutely nothing wrong. The Bible says that the Word of God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But it is according to the power that is at work within us. What is that power that is at work within us? It is our faith. It is faith which works by love. Amen? So, The children of Israel, according to what we've read, heard the gospel. They heard the good news, just as we have today. But the word says, the good news which they heard did not profit them. In other words, it didn't do them any good. In fact, it did the opposite. Because they didn't mix faith with it. In other words, they didn't believe what they heard. Amen? They heard the word, but they didn't believe it. In fact, they rebel against it. And as a result of the unbelief, the Bible says that for 40 long years, they wandered around in the desert. Most of them died in the desert without ever possessing or experiencing what God promised to them through the forefathers. What? What a tragedy. They did not stop being the people of God. They just didn't reach their full potential and they didn't reach the destination. You know, God took us out of the world to bring us into Christ, to abide and to remain in Him because that's where the life is. That's where productivity is. That's where fruitfulness is. That's where the peace of God is. That's where the blessing and the joy of the Lord is. In Christ, not in and out, but to remain in him and to abide in him and to have his word remain and abide in us. The writer to the Hebrews included the below statement in his writings to remind us today that the same thing can happen to us today as it did to them. And what is that warning? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us do what? Let us do what? He's talking about godly reverential fear. Let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Family of God, these are clear warnings from the Spirit of God that we need to take heed that what happened to the Israelites does not happen to us today. It could easily happen. And there are many in the church today They go round and round and round and round, never achieving their potential, never fulfilling the God's destiny for their lives have no purpose. It's like they walk in darkness, but yet they are in the church, they keep hearing the word, they keep being ministered to, they keep being counseled, but there is no change, no destination. And they fall short of what God promised them. And that is, believe me, they don't stop being children of God. They, They are children of God, but they fell so f- they stay so far short from what go- god destined for them and and it's real it's a real tragedy for it breaks the heart of god because jesus died for much more than what we are experiencing all of us we are experiencing far less than what jesus paid for amen And we need to pursue the the Lord, pursue the Word of God until we receive everything that God paid for, that Jesus shed his blood for us to receive. Amen? Now, the same admonition is given to us by the Lord Jesus in the gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4 and verse 24. Let's read that together. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 24. Take heed what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Amen. Let's read it again. Take heed what you hear. With the measure... The same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. So the way we enter into this blessed rest of God is by hearing the Word of God and obeying it. Hearing the Word of God and acting on it. Putting it into practice in our lives. Or you could say it this way. By hearing the Word of God and mixing faith with it. Faith is an active word. It is not a passive word. Because James says, faith without works or corresponding action is dead, just like the body without the spirit is dead. Many, they say, they have faith, but they have no corresponding action or works to prove that they have that faith. Amen? So it's not a mental ascent. It is something that we believe from the heart and we act on it. We do it. Amen? Praise God. We can either mix the word with faith and be blessed or with doubt and unbelief and remain outside of our promise, inheritance in Christ, outside of our potential. Amen? Jesus used the word measure instead of the word mix. But it's the same thing, actually. He's basically saying the same thing that Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 says. Amen? It's how we measure what we hear that makes all the difference in our lives. We can measure it with unbelief. We can measure it with doubt. We can measure it with an offense. We can measure it with unforgiveness. Hello? So, it's how we measure what we hear from God that makes all the difference in our lives. And the word will either bring blessing or stumbling. Listen carefully. The word you hear, depending what you mix with it, will either bring you blessing or will cause you to stumble. Well, listen. Peter says, Let's look at that verse of scripture. First Peter chapter two verses six through eight. In his first epistle he says the following Therefore it is also contained I lay in old Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient or unbelieving, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. You see, the scripture, uh, uh, the stone, the the scriptures you speak of is none other than who? The Lord Jesus himself. He is the precious stone, the living word of God. And the Pharisees heard the word through the mouth of Jesus, but the word which they heard caused them to stumble rather than bless them. Why? Why? because the hearts were not right with God. And that's what happens when the Word of God comes to you and your heart is not in the right place, the danger is you will stumble, you will be offended. You will blame God for where you are, you will blame your brother, you will blame your pastor, you will blame everybody else except yourself. Are you with me? Amen? They were offended at the word because they were prejudiced. Prejudice is a terrible sin, And the more they heard, the worse they became. And ultimately got so mad at the word that they crucified it. That's what they did, isn't it? We're going to celebrate in a few days the, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. What they should have done was to deal with a heart that was full of jealousy and envy. But instead of dealing with the heart, they got offended at the word. Amen. Amen. Say amen, please. This This is true. They didn't do what they should have done, but they chose to attack the messenger rather than deal with the corruption that was in the heart. And it happens today so often. We see people getting offended with the pastors, with the leadership, with the brothers, with the sisters because of something they did. Their heart is so narrow that they cannot forgive or give that person grace. Hello? And when you allow offense to take root in your heart, it will spring up and it will poison you and it will poison those around you. Not just you, because that spreads. Amen. If there is offense in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. When it comes out of your mouth, it begins to influence those around you. Amen. So we need to beware not to measure what we hear with prejudice and not with any kind of offense or any such thing. If we do, the word which was meant to bless us, to edify us, it'll do the opposite and cause us to stumble, folks. Amen? Listen. Only the purity of our hearts will enable us to measure and receive the word of God with honor and with faith. That is absolutely the truth. Only the purity of our hearts will enable us so when we hear the word will enable us to measure it or to mix with it honor and faith. The state and condition of our heart determines how we measure what we hear and what we mix with it. And that's the secret. If your heart is pure, it will receive it according to the prescription that God gave us. If your heart is not pure and you have things within your heart that is not in line with God's Word, you're not aligned with God's Word, you're going to hear one thing and you're going to understand another thing. Amen. You know, I've noticed that we usually pray for the one who delivers the word. But you know what? I think more so we need to pray for the one who hears the word. Are you with me? We also need to pray for the hearers and the listeners of the word. Not just for the speaker. Both of us need that precious grace and anointing. Not only to deliver the word, but also for the person to receive it in the right manner with faith, with love, and with honor. Unless it is received that way, no matter how anointed the preacher is, no matter how effectively he delivers that word, it will not produce. Imagine a farmer that goes out to sow on an uncultivated ground. He never tilled the ground. He never prepared it. He just sowed the seed. What do you think is going to happen? He's going to lose every seed that he has sown. There will be no harvest. And the same things happen in the Spirit. When you don't prepare your heart before you come to receive ministry, before you approach the Word, you will hear that Word, but it will not penetrate. Because the ground has not been prepared. The heart has not been softened. And it hasn't been watered with the Spirit through prayer. That's why we should lift one another up every Sunday morning before we come to church and pray that the Lord would soften the heart of the people. That He would water them with His Spirit, with His presence. So when the Word is delivered, it finds entrance, it finds the right attitude. An attitude of meekness and humility when, when the Word is ministered so that it can minister salvation and healing and deliverance. James says, put away all wickedness and receive the Word, how? With meekness, the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls or deliver your souls from depression, from oppression, from emotional sickness, and from physical ailments. You see, the word is able. God loves to minister to us healing and deliverance and salvation in every sphere of our lives, financially, spiritually. Amen. Fix your marriage if need be. Fix your finances. Fix your relationships. The Word is able to do that. There's nothing wrong with the Word. Because Psalm 107 verse 20 says, God sent His Word and did what? He healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Who's them? Us. But it has to be received according to the prescription that God has given us. Amen. Amen. If the heart is pure and free from offense, from any kind of strife, or prejudice, or any such thing, the Word will bring the blessing. The Word will bring fruit. Amen? And the Word will minister to us in the area where we have our need, or in the areas where we are struggling, whatever that area might be. When God healed and delivered us, He didn't just minister ministered to our spirit. He ministered to the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. Amen? So before we approach or hear the word of God, we need to make sure that our hearts are in the right place. Our attitude is right. Our heart is right. It is free from any kind of contamination listen to what paul the apostle said to the corinthians 2 corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 and uh, chapter 7 verse 1 and 2 therefore having these promises beloved let us notice the word where the responsibility lies let us do what cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your heart to us. Notice what he says. You know, if your heart is not where it should be, it is closed. Close to the pastor, close to the one who ministers to you, close to your brother, close to your sister. What must we do so that our hearts can open because this is the work of God. God opens the hearts, but we have to do something about it. He says, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. In other words, walk in sanctification so that your heart can be open and receptive and softened. The Apostle Paul giving directions to the church in Corinth just before they receive communion, they're going to approach now the holy table of the Lord and receive communion, just like we're going to do today when we come together. He says to them, but let a man examine himself. You hear that? There is an examination which is healthy, but there is another examination which is unhealthy. We won't go into that right now. For the apostle says, the word says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. God calls upon us to examine ourselves and to judge ourselves in those areas where the Spirit, where the light of God shows us that it's not right. Amen? So I pray this morning that the light of God, through the questions I'm going to be asking all of us today, would shine on your heart, on your mind, on your attitude, and bring revelation so that you may see. Because usually, we don't see. In fact, the Word of God says, only in the light of God we shall see light. (laughs) Unless He shines the torch, you can't see. No matter how you try. It's by the revelation of the Spirit. This is a work of the Spirit, folks. As I deliver the Word, I trust the Spirit to shine the light. So say, Lord, shine the light on my heart. Shine the light on my mind. Shine the light on my attitude, Lord. Amen. So we must thoroughly examine ourselves and make sure that we are not harboring, as I mentioned, any offense, any unforgiveness or prejudice against anyone. Also, that we are not angry or in strife, and that includes our spouse. Hello? Are you ever angry with your spouse? Never. Never. <laughs> You probably are the only one. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. That includes our children, our fellow brothers and sisters, as well as our unbelieving neighbors. And I had many opportunities in the last few months to get really angry with my neighbor on the left. Many opportunities. You know, they went and planted a tree right by, <laughs> by the boundary, my boundary. And not one of those little plants, a huge tree. And in years, this the, the roots of this tree pushed my wall so further from where it should be, I don't think he would have lost it another winter. Nobody did anything about it. And man, that was an opportunity to really get angry but I chose not to do that and to call the owner. And I spoke to him gently and kindly. You know what? He ended up paying most of the damage. Praise God. (laughs) Yeah, you can get angry. Uh, You know, but also many opportunities. My wife said to me this morning, who had a party again last night? I said, the neighbor on the left. He always has a party every two weeks. And they... And they go up to 3, 4, four thirty, five o'clock the last time in the morning with this loud music. Thank God our bedroom is on the other side. Now that's an opportunity. But I'm not going to get angry. And I don't want to... You, you see, if you get angry, you think you're damaging your neighbor. You're damaging yourself. You don't damage your, your spouse. You damage yourself. You damage your relationship. Amen? Rarely Christians, I believe, you know prepare themselves before they come to fellowship and receive ministry. You know why? Because we don't consider it as important. And yet I believe this is one of the most important things we do whenever we approach the Word, either to hear it, either to read it, or meditate on it, before we pray, before we receive communion, before we give our tithes, before we give offerings, we need to make sure that the heart is in the right place. Amen. Before God, remember, revealed himself to Moses, you recall what he instructed him to do? As he began to approach the burning bush, God spoke to him from the bush, and he said, take off your shoes. What's the significance of that? Well, Some scholars consider that removing shoes signifies putting off the earth, the earthly or the profane upon approaching the holy, as the Old Testament priests did before entering the sanctuary. But I also believe it signifies humility, servanthood, reverential fear. You don't just come anyway you know, you drive here to the church with your kids and then you have a fight or you have an argument. Well, before you enter the doors of the building, you need to stop and say, Lord, forgive me. If you said something that you've offended your spouse or your children, you've got to be humble enough to say, I'm sorry. I I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. Straight away. Don't wait the next day or the day after. Well, do I have... Yes, you do. Or else you're not going to receive anything. You might as well stay at home. Amen? It will save you a lot of petrol and a lot of time. Amen? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says that we are to guard or to watch over our hearts above all else. Why? Because out of it spring the issues of life. Another translation says the heart determines the course of your life. Even another translation says, the heart, your heart is the wellspring of life. It comes from the heart. If your heart is healthy, your body will be healthy, your mind will be healthy, your finances will be healthy, your relationships will be healthy. Why? Because the heart is in the right place. Hey, folks, we got to understand this. Our hearts need to be fully aligned with the Word of God, in agreement with Him. Why? Because the Bible says, can two walk together unless they agreed? No, you can't walk in the light if you are in disagreement with the Word of God, or oh, you have strife in your heart against your brother, or an offense, or unforgiveness. You can't walk in the light because there's darkness in the heart. You've got to get rid of it. Hello? Amen. We can also say it this way, and I believe it's right and it's scriptural, that the heart is a measuring mechanism by which we measure what we hear. The heart is also the measuring stick by what, by which you measure what you hear. Not just from the Word of God, but from anyone. Amen? The disciples once, uh, they got into the boat and they started arguing with themselves, James, you forgot to take bread. No, it was your fault, Peter. And Jesus said, hey, man. Why are you so unbelieving? Did you forget the miracle that I've just done and fed 5,000? I didn't speak to you about bread. I spoke to you about the leaven or the doctrine of the Pharisees. You see, if if your heart harbors an offense, I'm going to say one thing and you're going to understand another thing. And you will say, but you said that. No, I didn't. I didn't say that. You heard it that way. But it didn't come out that way. Are you with me? That's what happens when our heart are not, is not aligned, is not on the same page. Amen. So if the measuring mechanism or the stick by which we measure what we hear is polluted, then what we hear will be tainted by that same pollution. You want to try it sometime? Well, take a bowl of clean water, take a measuring stick and dirty it with mud, put it into the bowl of clean water, and see what happens. The whole water is polluted. Why? Because the measuring stick is dirty. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) And this is what Jesus meant when he said, take heed what you hear and how you measure what you hear. Because if your receiver or your measuring mechanism is damaged, then what you hear will be affected by that damaged perception or measure. So in order to cleanse our measuring mechanism or our perceptions, here are some serious questions to ask ourselves before we approach the Word or before we hear the Word or before we pray, before we do anything in the Lord. Here's the first one. While I was sitting uh, um, at my usual place where I sit, pray, and meditate, the Lord began to ask me these questions and I had to answer them. So what he asked me, I'm going to ask you. Is there anyone in your life, son, that you have not genuinely forgiven? So many people say, yes, but I've forgiven. How do I know that I've truly forgiven? Well, there's one indication. When you think of that wrong they've done to you, it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't hurt anymore. You've been healed because you have forgiven, genuinely forgiven. Because many say, I have forgiven, but every time they keep recalling that incident, recalling it, recalling it, recalling it, and every time they recall it, it hurts. And it hurts more every time you repeat it. So, is there anyone in your life, and trust the Spirit now to minister to you, that you have not genuinely forgiven, Anyone that you prejudiced against, prejudiced I'll explain. Is there anyone that you are offended with, because he said something or he did something, that you picked up an offense? You see, if you are prejudiced against someone for one reason or another, and it could be the color of the skin. Hello? It could be the way they dress, or the way they look, or the way they present themselves. Hello? So many of us, so many times, we prejudiced against people because they're not from our culture, they're not from our race, they do things differently, they dress differently, or the color of the skin is not the same. I'm so glad that we have all the colors here today. Hello? (laughs) Hello? That is a true representation of our city, and it is a true representation of heaven. You're going to see people in heaven that you thought will never be there. Hello? (laughs) You see, if you are prejudiced, no matter what they say or what they do, you're going to find fault with it. Did you hear that? You're going to find fault. Why? Because there's prejudice in your heart. It will also affect whatever dealings you have with that person because your measuring mechanism or your perception has been tainted with offense. Unless you get rid of all that, you cannot see or perceive them in the right attitude. Say, Pastor, this is good preaching. I needed to hear that this morning. I've been praying for days to deliver this word to you. I just hope that you've also done your part. So let's go further in our questions. Is there anyone that I am aware of that has ought against me? Never mind me aught against him. Or you remember that somebody's got a problem with you. Or has got something against you. And it happens sometimes. You know, in 2002, I traveled to Cyprus all the way because my brother has ought, had ought against me for nothing, for no reason. And God specifically instructed me. He said, Go to Cyprus, make right with your brother. Take all the blame if you have to. Even though it is not your fault. But don't come back until you make sure that your relationship with your brother is restored. And I flew all the way, and that was my mission. He asked for some some huge things. I gave him whatever he asked. I took all the blame, and when I did, he broke down in tears, I broke down in tears, and we hugged one another. And the relationship was restored. A few years after that, he died prematurely, 55 years of age. But when I came back to South Africa, he wrote me a letter, and he said, I had a dream that you had come to Cyprus to visit with me. And you entered my room that was filled with darkness. You switched on the light. And my room was flooded with the light. I'll never forget it. So you need to ask yourself, are you aware of anyone that has ought against you? Is there a relationship in your life that needs to be mended or restored? Jesus said that when you come to the altar of worship to offer your gift, and there you remember your brother has something against you, drop everything and go your way. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And it will be accepted. You see, that comes first. What did I say before? If the heart is not right, you can't receive the word, you can't give an offering, you can't pay your tithes, you can't worship. You can, but God will not accept it until you put this right. Go, you see, go the whole way. But you say, Pastor, that's not my fault. I didn't do anything. Doesn't matter. Take the blame. Just make sure you restore the relationship. You know what I asked my brother? I said, what is it going to take from you to forgive me? And for our relationship to be restored? He said, give me your inheritance. I said, I release it to you. And I gave it to him. And I meant every word I said. Because I said to him, you are more precious to me than any inheritance or money or gold or diamonds. Do you know what? When he passed away, everything that he had and I gave him came back to me. I didn't know then. I didn't know it that he was this is gonna happen. It pays to obey the word of God, folks. Damaged relationships can have a severe impact on your Receiver on your measuring mechanism. Amen. As well as your relationship with the Lord and with others. In fact, listen to this. Jesus said, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever demeans or insults a fellow believer by calling him rakah in today's language, is idiot, stupid, hello, is in danger of being brought before the courts of heaven. You know, just by calling your brother stupid or an idiot, that's demeaning, that's degrading, that's the opposite of honoring. The Bible says, honor all men. Amen. No matter who they are or what they you honor them. Family of God, these are sobering, sobering words that fell from the master's lips. And we really ought to take heed and walk with holy reverence and godly fear before the Lord and before one another. Another question. Have I hardened my heart against anyone James says, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you are guilty of sin. What does that mean? That means, is there anyone you are aware of who needed your help in any way, and instead of helping them, you closed your heart to them? And you said, let him deal with it. It's his problem anyway. It's not mine. But yet you could do something about it. And you didn't do it. You closed your heart. In that case, if that is the case, what we need to do is repent, say, Lord, forgive me. That is not a Christ like attitude. And open your heart of compassion to them. Mercy. You give mercy, you're going to find mercy. You give judgment, you're going to find judgment. Amen? And refrain from all the excuses you are making or I'm making so that we don't help them. It's quiet in here. Is there anything or anyone in my life that I love and honor more than the Lord Jesus. That includes my spouse, that includes my children, my work, my parents, or whatever. Jesus said, listen to what he said, Matthew ten thirty seven He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, a person can become an idol in our life. You know how? By giving them more love and more honor than we give to the Lord. By allowing them to influence us more than the word of the Lord. Whether it's your wife or your husband or your pastor. Hello? Some people put the pastor up there. We need to be very careful and instead of you allow them to influence you more, whether it's, it's a person or a thing, instead of running to the Lord, you keep running to them. Hello? You know, that's why God does us a great favor <laughs> and a great blessing when he removes some people from us. He takes away their influence. Hello? This is so true. Not not just bad influence. You know, Jesus said, it is far better for you that I go away. Did he say that? Why? Because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come to you. You see, they were going through a period of transition. So Jesus had to remove himself from them. Because if he remained with them, they would keep coming to him, keep coming to him. And you know what? When he was gone, they would learn to follow the one whom they didn't see, the one whom they didn't feel anymore. They had to follow the spirit within them. They were going through a transition. Hallelujah. Did you know that Isaiah had an idol in his life, even though when he was in ministry? How do you know that? Well, the Word of God tells me. You know who it was? It was King Uzziah. If you read the story, you will understand. He was so attached to Uzziah, and Uzziah obscured his vision from seeing the Lord. That's why Scripture says, look at it, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, what happened? I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And that resulted in Isaiah repenting, being cleansed and empowered even further by the Holy Spirit. Because that person overshadowed and obscured the risen Lord, all the vision from seeing God. And as long as Isaiah was around... Isaiah could not see the Lord because Uzziah was obscuring the Lord. That's why I said sometimes it is better for some believers so that we can cultivate our dependence upon the Lord. You know, as a pastor, I don't really want people to come to me and ask me, what shall I do? I don't know what to do here. What shall I decide? No, it is your responsibility to seek the Lord first, to hear from Him direct, and then if you want to confirm what God said, you come to your spiritual oversight, and you say, can you judge this for me? Because there is a danger of going astray, of hearing the wrong voice, of being led wrongly, but first, you go to the Lord. First, you hear from Him. And I remember many years ago, Michael came to me as he was starting to settle in the fellowship and take root, that the devil came to tempt him. He offered him something that he loved doing, to be a tour guide and travel all over the world, and they promised him so many things. He came to me, I was standing right there, and he said, Pastor, I've been offered this job, I've been given a good uh, package and all of that, what do you think? Thank God I didn't tell him what I thought. I said, Michael, you go, you remember, you go seek the Lord, you go pray, because you belong to the Lord, and whatever he says to you, do it. You know, he went and he did exactly that, and God spoke to him through 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 9, where Paul says, all things are legal, but not all things are beneficial. Amen. What was the other one? That uh, that There's two things there. All All things are permissible, but not all things are edifying. So I said, what did you get out of it? Well, he said, that is not going to edify my faith if I do that. I'm going to stay here. Well, thank God he listened to the Lord. Amen. So if somebody comes to you, what do you think? Don't be too quick. You say, well, have you prayed about it? Why don't you pray about it first, and then come to me. Tell me what, I often question people, what did the Lord say to you when you prayed about this? You know, 90 times out of 100, people will tell me, I don't know, I don't know. That's not healthy, folks. My sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice, and they know me. If you are one of his sheep, you should be able to hear the voice. If you don't know his voice, that means you don't know the word, so get to work. Amen. Amen. Our love for Jesus and his word must supersede all other loves in our life. I know I'm taking longer than, than we usually do, but I pray you will give me the grace because I've got to finish this sermon today. Thank you. Our love for Jesus and his word must supersede all other loves in our life, meaning that we have no idols or make anything or anyone an idol in our lives. He is our first love. Not the only love, but our first love. And remember what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus. After he had praised them for all the good he saw in them, he also rebuked them. Why? Because they left their first love. This is what he said to them. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Look at how many wonderful things Jesus found in these churches. And you know what? You better make sure, before you point out the fault of someone, before you do that, make sure you mention all the good that you see in them. Hello? Because some of us only see the bad. They don't see the good. See the good, praise them for the good, and then say to them this and this and this. Amen? Amen? He wouldn't let him get away. He says, nevertheless, despite all the good that I'm observing, that I'm seeing in you, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So the question I want to ask is this. All of us, has our heart grown cold towards the Lord? Through the business of life, through the cares of this world, through the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for many things. Have we allowed anything to come into our lives that has put water, cold water on our hearts, and we've grown cold or indifferent? If that is the case, then we need to revive it again. How? Through repentance and works of love and faith. You see, Jesus doesn't just point the problem he also gives us the solution with the problem. He says to them, remember, in verse 5, remember, that word is very important, folks, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand stem from its place, unless you repent. And may I say that many believers, the lamp has already been removed. And they don't even know. Just like Samson. You know, he got involved with Delilah. And after a while, Delilah found his secret, cut off his hair. He was not even aware of it. The enemies came upon him. And Samson thought, I'm going to deal with him as I've dealt with him before he rises up and he realizes his strength is gone. It was too late. Amen? You get involved with the wrong people, with the wrong things. You get involved with unauthorized relationships. The Bible says uh, that uh, bad influence corrupt good manners. Hello? Oh, pastor, I'm too strong. I, I don't get influenced. I can go and party. I can go to the nightclubs. I can go and do that nothing influences me because I'm a strong believer. You're fooling yourself. Amen. That's just as plain as I can put it. So Jesus calls them what? To remembrance. That's what we're going to be doing right now before we receive communion. To remember how they loved him at first. To remember from which point in the walk they fell and from their fervent love. And then to repent. It doesn't take long to repent. Just a few seconds. So the communion we participate in when we come together is for the purpose of what? Of remembrance. It is a meal of remembrance. Jesus said it over and over again, do this in remembrance of me. I don't know about you, but when I called to remembrance the day I was born again and the days that followed after that, I weep with tears and joy many times. Gratitude toward the Lord Jesus who had compassion on me and rescued me from the hell, literal hell that I was in. And I believe that when we sincerely reflect, Passover is coming up and we celebrate. So these are the days where we reflect. When we reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and the price he paid for each and every one of us for our salvation. Our hearts, folks, cannot remain the same. They cannot remain irreverent or indifferent towards the Lord. When you imagine, as you reflect, what he went through, so that you and I can sit here together and enjoy peace in our hearts, peace of mind that passes all understanding. So when we reflect and meditate on his love toward us, our hearts begin to melt and break in the presence of such awesome love. And listen, in that melting of the heart, we begin to pour contempt, as the hymn says, on all our pride, our selfishness, our waywardness. Why? Because the Bible says it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Folks, I believe in the church, and I'm speaking generally, we need more melting of our hearts, more brokenness, more contrition of the heart. And I believe this is the time to pray and to say to the Lord, as David prayed in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. And I want this to be your prayer today. Ask the Holy Spirit and say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That passion translation translates this prayer of David with such passion and sincerity, that's why it's called the passion. He says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test. Sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way, the path that brings me back to you. Do you believe that God will answer such prayer? Absolutely. And finally, one last question, and then I'm through. Ask the Lord to show you if there is anything in your life that you refuse to let go for the gospel's sake. Or lay it down in obedience to the Lord. You know, sometimes we hold some people, some practices... Even us, pastors, ministry, we can hold it so tight. It's my ministry. That when God says, lay it down, no, that's the devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Imagine if Abraham did that. Go take your son up on the mount, and there you sacrifice him. Abraham obeyed. Today, we call him the father of our faith, but his faith was tested. He loved Isaac so much, but he loved God more than Isaac. You may have an Isaac in your life, that God is calling you to lay him down and walk away, and you say, no, no, I don't want to give that. I believe this is the Lord's will for me. Well, if you believe that, no one can convince you. That's why when we come to God, we need to come surrendered. Lord, anything. I will go where you send me to go. I will do whatever you command me to do. I will lay down whatever you command me to lay down. It could be an attitude. It could be a behavior that is blocking you, that is frustrating your growth and spiritual development, and yet you're still holding it on tight. Amen? I'm reminded of something. Something that I really liked was bread. Believe me, I could sit down and eat a whole French loaf in one sitting. But you know what? I began to expand and expand and expand. I liked it. but you know what? It affected my health. Just giving you an example. What is it that we refuse to let go? And God is calling us to lay it down. A true disciple, folks, is willing to lay down every weight. Even though something is not a sin, but it's a weight on you in order to run his race with endurance, knowing that what awaits you is far greater than anything the world has to offer. Having asked all these questions prayerfully, with the Holy Spirit helping us to answer them truthfully, and correcting what we need to correct, let us confidently now approach the table of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message.